don't know about y'all, but when I know I'm going on vacation, you know, whenever we're planning a vacation or a trip, I tend to not get excited about it until I know it's happening. It might be the day before and I'm at work and I'm thinking, well, I'm about to be on vacation. And, uh, but I still hold back my excitement because it's like, well, anything, you know, I'm, I'm a pessimist sometimes, maybe a lot of times. But I'm like, well, something might take this away from me or something or, you know, but uh, I kind of hold back reserved. And I'm kind of the same way about the new year. And uh, but as we draw closer to tonight and tomorrow and uh, I just there's been some changes that have taken place during this year that have made things better for me. Uh, some changes at work that have made things better, that have made the job better. And uh, there's, there's just some other changes that, you know, that I've seen. And as I get closer, I start to get a little bit excited about the coming year. I want to look in, look in your Bibles this morning in uh, Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three. You know, when a preacher signs a Bible, a lot of times, or a preacher or a missionary, Miss Gay is looking at me like she's horrified. Why would he sign a Bible? We've, uh, okay. (laughs) But when a preacher signs a Bible, and and if you, I mean, if, I mean, if I had a chance to be with Adrian Rogers, you know, before he passed away, I would have loved to get him to sign my Bible. It's just a, a memory. There's a, a Dr. Walker has signed my Bible. Dr. Peacock has signed my Bible. But when they sign, a, sign your Bible, they'll often put a verse next to it. And, uh, you know, it's not an autograph that you're collecting so much for anybody else. It's just kind of for yourself. But they'll put a verse next to it because... When someone gets called to preach or they get called to the ministry, there's often a verse that, that goes with them. There's often a time when they were in God's word and they were praying and praying about, Lord, should I go forward with this? Should this be something that I do? And they're asking God and, and God will show them something. And, and that little verse, is, it's a memory of that time. It's a memory of that moment. For me, Philippians 3, 13 through 14 is that verse. So from time to time, I'll pull it back up and preach on it again. And to me, Philippians 3, 13 and 3, 14 is, is kind of a way to look at the coming new year. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of a way to look at the coming new year. It's, uh, look, at, look at it with me, Philippians 3, 13. Paul says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, he he hadn't reached where he wants to be. And if you're able, please stand for the word of God. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto, unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. 
in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says there's three things, and, and I, I get that it's part of a greater context, but this is the verse that had an impact on me because oftentimes, he, look at what he says here in 313, he says, I count not myself to have apprehended. Number one, Paul knows that he hasn't reached where he needs to be. Our Christian walk is an ongoing walk. Our Christian walk is not a destination, but it's a journey. Our time in this world is a time of growth. It's not a time to be stagnant. Our time, we're, we're not to just wait for that day that we go to heaven, but we're to walk for God now. We're to walk in his word. We're to walk in obedience to him now. And Paul, as successful as he was, as many churches as he started, as many people as he ministered to, as many things as he did for God, and when you look over there in verse number one, you can see even before he was save, a saved Christian, he was doing all that he could for God in studying the law and being a Hebrew after the he, of the Hebrews and in being blameless in the law and following God in righteousness. And even when he persecuted the church, he was giving all he could to God because he thought that was God's will, that these people were blaspheming the word of God. So he persecuted them with a zeal. He went after them with a zeal. But with all of that, Paul is humbled by his life. Paul looks at his life as it is. He looks at the persecution that he went through for Jesus Christ, things that we may never see in our lifetime. And he looks at all the people. Maybe he sees past them. I don't know. Maybe he only sees the next people. But he looks back and he says, not having apprehended. He says, verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He hadn't reached where he want, thinks he ought to be. I've been reading and I've been hitting and missing on uh, Jim Elliott's uh, biography. And Jim Elliott and Nate Elliott, and I believe it was uh, four or five other missionaries, were, had gone to South America to preach to the Aka Indians, to lead them to Christ. They were one of the hardest tribes to reach. They were one of the most violent tribes to reach. And they flew over in, in uh, Nate's airplane, and they had come up with a way of dropping down a rope, and Nate could fly in a circle, and they could just circle that rope down, and they would leave things down. They, they dropped a machete down for them. They gave them gifts. They gave them things to point to Christ, and they had people that would meet them, and, and during that time, they, they used different things. They would drop ribbons in certain places to show them, hey, if we're going to land, you're going to have to clear this area. And they prepared the area, and they cleared it. But Jim Elliott, throughout his life, he was in God's Word. He had daily devotionals, and he wrote them in this journal. And you could see how he was faithfully following the Lord. Yet in all of that, and you see it in all of the saints, no matter how faithfully they follow the Lord, they're aware of their own sin. They're aware of their own shortcomings. There is no arrival. There's the journey. There's the getting closer to God. There's being aware of your own sin and your own shortcomings and drawing closer to God. Paul says, I have not apprehended. I haven't reached that point. And if you're discouraged and you're saying, well, I'm just not where I need to be, understand, you'll never be where you need to be until you're on the other side of glory. Until you're at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him face to face in heaven, you're not going to be there. But it doesn't mean that you stop. It doesn't mean that you give up. Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended. And then he says, but this one thing I do. 
And this one thing that he does is made up of three things. And these are the three things that grabbed me when I'm looking at my past and I'm looking at, Lord, how can you use me? My story is nothing. I'm ashamed to tell it, but I'll tell it to you. That when I got saved at 11, and many know it here, I got saved at 11 years old, but I had no idea what it was to follow God. I had no idea what the Bible was saying. I, I, wasn't even, I couldn't even comprehend it when I read it. I only knew that there was a God, and I only knew that Jesus died for my sins, and I only knew that I wasn't going to hell because Jesus died for my sins. I went to Bible camp. I don't really remember learning a lot. I remember memorizing a lot of verses. And those verses stuck through me throughout life. At least some of them did. Because there was a bunch of them. Me and this other girl that were there, we'd work together and we'd memorize and we'd go and recite it. And then we'd work on the next one and go and recite it, you know. And uh, I, I remember certain things about the camp. But I remember going home. And that's how I get this picture. I get this picture of Elijah up on the mountain and everything's going great. And man, everyone's turning to God. The prophets of Baal are taken out, you know. And and when you go to camp and you're surrounded by Bible and you're surrounded by people in the Bible, you you just kind of feel this cleanliness. But then Elijah comes down from the mountain and Jezebel finds out about it. And she sends a messenger to him and sends him up under the juniper tree. She says that she's going to kill him just like he did the prophets of Baal. That took me back in time. That took me back to summer camp where I was surrounded by people that were in the Word of God and learning Bible verses, and I go home. There's just nothing really there. And you hang on. And you you try to hang on to it. And there was a Christian bookstore in Texas City. I rode up there on my bicycle, and I go into the Christian bookstore. And you know that? A Christian bookstore, I'm going to be frank with you. A Christian bookstore is one of the most dangerous places for a young, freshly saved Christian to walk into. you believe me on that? You don't have to. This is what I, I know of this. You walk in there, and there's this point of view, and there's this point of view, and somebody asks well, what's the best Bible? Oh, well, this one does this, and this one does that, and this one will tell you this. And, man, they don't know what to do. And I said, well, the King James Version, that's really for the more advanced Christian or whatnot. Yeah, let me show you to this one. And uh, I know, I know that I always bring it up. But they point you all over the place, and by the time you walk out of there, your head's so spinning, you don't understand what's there. So I'm 11 years old, 12 years old maybe by then. I go to the Christian bookstore. The only thing that I can find to walk out with is a couple bookmarks and a little bitty book of scriptures to memorize. And I got two of them. But then after time, you got nothing. You don't have a church you're going to or the church we went to. I mean, they actually had a little haunted house for Halloween. That wasn't pointing me to God. And then after time, you wear down, you wear down, you wear down. You're not going to church. And soon you forget. And, and, and you just kind of fade. 
And it's not that you don't love God. I remember being on my knees in my room. It's like, Lord, what do I need to do? Do I need to clean the floor on my knees? Do I need, what do I need to do? I think of Martin Luther who on his knees made him bloody, climbing up the steps of the temple. Doing all he could to subjugate him to God's will, to, to please God. Beating himself, doing whatever he had to do to please God. And then he realized none of that counted for anything. And Martin Luther was the one that started the Reformation. Martin Luther was the one who said, it's grace by faith, it's not by works, when he came across a verse in Romans. So after a while, my life fell into line with the world. It didn't take long because there wasn't a big foundation there. You know, when I first got here, I, I tried to disciple people. I think I get too carried away, and I, you know, I have to have something to keep me on track because I'll start showing this and this, and I'm seeing this, and I, I begin to take a little pride in being able to show all these things when really the new Christian just needs to see a few things to keep going, to learn a little bit more about Christ. You say you don't need church. <laughs> Let me tell you. You're not going to get Bible outside of church. You're going to get a lot of anti-Bible. Just as dangerous as I said the Christian bookstore is to a new Christian, staying out of church is just as dangerous also. Staying out of church altogether. And you say, well, you're just trying to get people in the pews. It's like, I look real concerned about that, don't I? I want people in the pews, but more than that, I want people to grow in Jesus Christ. Because I look back at my own young life and I say, it just went, it went to hell. That's a rough thing to say, I've been in the pulpit, but it did, my life did, without Christ. I believed in Christ, I prayed to God during those times during those critical moments in my life. I joined the Navy and I did all kinds of things in the Navy that I wouldn't dare say. But I remember meeting Dee Dee and I remember wanting to get married. That was one of those points in my life where I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here, but God, I really would like to marry her. Is she the one? And God, in spite of me, gave me the best wife I ever could have met. Out of anybody that I've come across, Dee Dee has been the best wife for me in my life. And I give God the glory on that. Was I walking close to the Lord? Had I apprehended? Had I reached that pinnacle because I had prayed to God for that decision? No. My life was still kind of in the gutter. And I still struggle. I still fight against the flesh. I got to the, I cheated, I looked at the end of Jim Elliott's journal. Right before they went to the Akas. And when they, six days after that entry, it was December 30th, I think, was the last entry. He was looking forward to a New Year's conference. And it was six days later that they were killed at the hands of the Aka Indians. They had landed on the beach. They had taken one of the guys up for a flight and back down. And I don't remember the exact story, 
but there was some, some that came out of the bushes and killed them. In Jim's last entry in his journal, he was so concerned about his battle with the flesh. This is the man who gave his life to Christ. This is the man who prayed every morning, read his Bible, who went to conferences, who gave up a job in order to be a missionary. He had a job offer. He was praying about it, whether he should take it or not. And his whole trajectory of his life was leading him toward that. And his last entry talks about his battle with the flesh and the spirit. Talks about how I, I haven't been in the word much this week. I came across one entry where he said, I preached. And it just kind of fell flat. You could see people just, and you know, he had translated the sermon for him and everything. But you know, he could see where they just weren't quite paying attention. A preacher knows when he's hitting a deaf note. <laughs> But Jim Elliott, for all that he had done, Paul, for all that he had done, he said, I have not apprehended. I haven't reached that point. So I reached a point of looking at becoming a preacher. Not because I was searching for a vocation, not because I was searching for an occupation, or not because I was searching for glory. It just, you, you begin to feel God calling you. And you begin to feel those tugs. And you don't want to dare say that one thing is a sign. But sometimes God will show you a verse and, and, and it just sticks with you. And Paul said these three things. He said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. This one thing. And then he lists three things that are all part of that one thing. These are all the things that motivate him, that, that get him going forward. Number one, he says, forgetting those things which are behind. You know, the past can paralyze you. Your past mistakes. I've reached a point in my life about four or five years ago, I'd lay down and my mind goes on hyperdrive. It's just messed up that way. You lay down and you're trying to go to sleep, and it's like the devil's sitting there with the book. Hey, Keith. I know you're about to lay down. You remember that time back in 89? Why in the world would I think about 89? You remember that. You remember what you said to that person? <coughs> yeah, I remember. And that's where you need to say, it's under the blood, forgetting those things which are behind you. You remember what you did to that one person? I remember. And when you're looking at doing something for the Lord, or you're looking at doing something for God, it's, you got to put the past behind you. I remember back in the book of Exodus when they're in the wilderness, and God gave them the manna to feed them. And he told them not to store it up for the next day, remember? And there were some that said, well, this is good stuff. We're going to put a little for tomorrow. We don't know what's coming. But God was trying to teach them something. Those that tried to save up the manna from yesterday, 
When they got up the next morning, it was eaten with worms and it was wasted. The Bible says those that gathered much had nothing over and those that gathered little lacked nothing. Our past is our past. There's some things to forget about. There's times when God provided for you. Those are times to remember God's provision. It's good to remember that God provided that manna in the wilderness. That's the lesson. Remember that. He would remind them of that. I fed thee with manna in the wilderness. Those are the things to remember, but there's some things to forget. When we received Christ, we became a new creature. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The word of God begins to open up to you. Your old life is gone. And that's the things you need to forget. It's like Miss Johnny said, it's under the blood. Forget it. Put it behind you. You, you still don't want to do it. This doesn't give you license to do it because, well, tomorrow I'll forget about it. That's not the way it works. But when it comes to serving God, when God's calling you to something and you're saying, well, I'm just not worthy of that. He's saying, forget about all that. Imagine the guilt that Paul had. I mean, mine is what I said to some girl back in 89. Mine is what I did to a friend back in 92. I'm kind of making up the years right now because I've forgotten what they are. They'll come back to me when I lay down. But for Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, he had already put families in prison. He had stood there in Acts chapter number 7 and watched Stephen get stoned. And he didn't just watch from a distance. Somebody picked up a rock. Here, let me hold your coat there so you can get a good throw in. Here, I'll hold you. Go ahead. Go ahead, fellas. Get him. That's what Paul, that's what came to Paul in the middle of the night. When he's serving God, he said, I have, I have persecuted your people, Lord. He says, "Putting, forgetting those things which are behind me. There's the past failures, and then there's the past successes. And it seems odd to, to have to put the past successes behind you, but, you know, sometimes there's things that were done that weren't done in the Lord. Paul looks back, flip over in your Bibles to Philippians chapter number one. I mean, Philippians chapter number three, look in verse number one. Because this sets the context for the passage. Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. Verse number three, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. When the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about self-reliance. It's talking about relying on yourself. And then he says in verse number four, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh he hath whereof that he might trust in the flesh, I more. 
Paul's saying you're, you're so confident. You, you're so smart. You know the law. You know the, you look over in Romans chapter number two. He's telling them, you, you know the law. You know the oracles of Christ because you're a Jew. He said, <coughs> but you're breaking the law. And you're still doing that. And Paul's telling them, you think that you know all of this stuff. You should have seen me. And then he lists it out. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He followed the law to a T before he was even born, before he had a choice. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. And everyone knew the Pharisees were the religious leaders. You go over into Matthew chapter number five, and Jesus talked about, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom. He says, verse number six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He was doing everything that he could, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He was following the letter of the law to a T. I bet you when he was a Pharisee, he was one of those that had the outside of the cup clean, the inside dirty. One of my favorite things to point at. Why did sepulcher? But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You become a new creature. You become a new mold, a new lump of clay when you get saved. And God's got a plan for you. But if you hold on to that, it, it's, like, it's like having little rocks in that lump of clay. And God can't form it right. You try to hang on to the past. You try to hang on to what you were. You try to, it, it's kind of like I said for the Bible study. You just go for the ride and see what they're showing you. And then you figure out later what they were pointing out or God shows you something as you're doing it. A lot of times we get, we get off track with God's word because we're trying to put something into it every time. Somebody has shown us a piece here and a piece there and we're trying to put something in. Just read the Bible and let it speak to you. <coughs> and then you can sort it later. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. He said, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He lost his position as a Pharisee. He lost the respect of the community. Whenever he would go to preach over and over in Acts, you see it over in Acts 17, over in Acts 18, you see, you see people rejecting him. You see people, and that hurts. I can tell you personally how that, how that rejection hurts. You know, my whole life I grew up thinking I could get along with people, and then I tried sales. I was trying to sell water softeners because I was desperate for a job. I went there to, to install the water softeners, you know, because I, I knew about water treatment. And the guy, he needed a salesman, so he talks me into working for him, and, and we, were, we were desperate for work. Dee was supporting us with eBay. And I tried to learn how to sell, and they would make the call. I just got no tolerance for it anymore. It's like when somebody's, yes, we're doing a drive. <laughs> and then I just go on about my, I, I, I just don't even argue anymore. But it was the first time in my life, believe it or not, it was because people that didn't like me, I didn't have to go around. 
So it was the first time in my life going to somebody's house. And they, they had rejected me before I even got to the door, before they even knew my name. I was knocking on one door that it said they would accept somebody. And I'm knocking and you kind of see the, the blinds flash. Nobody answered. You knock, nobody answered. I went to another house and I actually took Megan on this call. But, you know, I was showing, I was doing the demo for the woman and showing her how it would clean. Oh, really? Well, what about this over here? And she's got me cleaning her windows and stuff. <laughs> and after all of that, you know, you're kind of beat up. People don't like you before you even know. And for Paul, I can imagine, Paul had the respect of the community, but now he goes into a synagogue, and not only are they rejecting him, <laughs> there's a good chance that they're going to stone him like they did Stephen. There's people that are lying about him. There's people that are getting him tossed in prison for casting out spirits out of women that are possessed. He's getting tossed into prison. He's getting talked about. He's getting lied about. But you know, afterwards, after the synagogue, after the rejection of the Jews, a lot of times you see right afterwards people coming up to him. We want to know more about this Jesus. And see, Paul counted all of that loss. It didn't mean anything. It's, it's, it's no standing. It's nothing. It count, it's nothing when you think of the excellency of Christ, when you think of what Christ has for you. There's things to forget. Go back to 313. <laughs> he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I think of Hebrews Chapter number 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with so about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and it's talking about Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the hall of faith. Seeing we are also compassed, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So you, you haven't reached the end. You haven't reached the prize. But he says, reaching forth unto those things which are before. And I've thought about this before. But you know, you can't live in the future either, right? You're running a race. There's a tape at the end. There's crossing over into glory. And you're running that race. You're reaching forth to the end. But every step that you take is now. It's the decisions that you make in the moment that determine where you'll be in the future. If you're reaching forth to Christ, it's, it's kind of like being on the water. There's not a lot of lessons I remember from when I was a kid, but I remember going out with my stepdad and riding a boat, and he let me handle the motor. We'd rent the boat out at Louis' bait camp, and we would ride out there in that one of them big old wooden boats, and he had his own motor he'd put on the back end. We'd get out there, and he said, all right, I'll let you steer. Now, for a 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy, that's something. <laughs> and I'm back there, and my step-grandfather, my stepdad are in the boat, and I'm doing like this. <laughs> he says, you see that spot of land up ahead? 
He said, just steer toward that. We're not going to land there. We're not going there. But use that for your guide because we're going to go toward that. It's the same thing when you're driving. You first learn to drive, well, you want to watch the lines. And your path goes like this. But it's when you look down the road, and the lines almost meet down the road when you're on the, you don't see it here in Texas, right? Because there's always somebody on the road. Out in Georgia, it may be different now because there's so many, so many things have changed. But out in Georgia, you can be on a road and not see people for a few miles. It's something. I got here and it's like, man, is there ever not a time when I got to deal with these people? <laughs> it doesn't matter what time of day or night. But out there, you could see where the road would end or it would curve or whatever. But you would, you look down the road. You get on I-95, you look down the road. I-10, those long stretches, you look down the road and you aim toward that. You don't sit there and try to aim like this. That plot of land, that, that mark that you press for, that's Jesus Christ. You're looking down the road and your eyes are on Jesus Christ. And when you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, your footsteps, you look back and they were straight because you kept your eyes on Christ. You come time to make a decision and you're praying, Lord, show me. Lord, what would you have me to do in this situation? And there may be times you go on with your life and it just doesn't seem like there's going to be an answer, but God will show you something. It'll be a verse. Maybe it'll be something else. Maybe it'll be a word somebody speaks to you. Maybe you're about to give up and somebody says, you know, this has really been helping me. Something that you said has helped me, and it keeps you going. But reaching forth unto those things which are before. Forgetting the past. Forgetting that 11-year-old boy that went astray. Forgetting that guy that was in the Navy. Forgetting what was said back then. You got to put that behind you so that you're not paralyzed, but putting your eyes on Jesus Christ. If you're putting your eyes on Jesus Christ, you're not looking back. There was a, there was a race in 1954, a foot race. And I had just learned about this, but they called it the Miracle Mile. You ever heard of a four-minute mile? That was the limit. They were trying to push. They were trying to break the four-minute mile. And there were two runners that could do it. And they raced in the same race. I'm just going to read this to you. But commentator Gordon Free recalls the famous Miracle Mile, the first time two milers ran under four minutes in the same race. Roger Bannister and John Landy competed in Vancouver, B.C. in 1954. Landy had led all the way, but coming off the final turn toward the finish line, he looked over his shoulder to find out where Bannister was, only to be passed on the other side and beaten to the tape. Now, you two being what it was, I looked it up. And you see that race, and Landy takes off early on in the race. And, man, they're knocking down that first lap within 58 seconds. And Landy is way up ahead, and Bannister comes from behind, and he begins to catch up to him. And he, he's almost stepping on his shoes, getting right behind him. But that's not until a few laps, because he paced himself. And he gets up close, and you see Landy look back one time. He's way ahead. All he's got to do is keep looking ahead. 
And right before he gets to the end, he looks back over his shoulder and he gets passed on the other side and hits the tape. Bannister hits the tape. He's the one that broke the record. He's the one that won the race. And both of them were up within three minutes and 58 seconds of running a mile. Or I say it was a three-minute, 58-second mile that he ran. So the point is, you take your eyes off Jesus. You're, you're running the race. You're keeping forward. And that gets to the last part, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a temptation to look back and say, oh, see what I've done. Look how far I am above or ahead of other people. But you, you can't do that. You can't worry about what other people are doing. You have to run your own race. You have to stay in your own lane. That's why somebody like Jim Elliott can get close toward the end of his life, and he was only 29 when that happened. But he'd given his life over. His desire was to give the gospel to those Aka Indians. But he still, he was in his own lane. He was running his own race, and he was looking at himself and saying, Lord, I've been battling in the flesh all week. I just want to be close to you. He knew that he had to be close to the Lord to face the Aka Indians. You can't look back. He said, pressing toward the mark, toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, he said, Thou therefore endure hardness, he told Timothy, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You know, a soldier puts everything aside. I don't know how it is now. You know, in the days of internet and video. But when I left for San Diego, I left behind my old life. I, there was no, when I came back, I was different. When I lived out in San Diego, I was a different person. And when I came back, I was different. The whole town was different to me. I never thought I'd come back. I think I'm the only one that did sometimes. Because I think everybody else got old like me and I don't recognize them. But when you, when you join the Navy and, you, you know, they'd say, well, your wife didn't come in your sea bag or this didn't come in your sea bag. You're issued government equipment. You're issued what you need to do the job. And you're given a space big enough to store your uniforms and you can get some jeans in there. And you can, you know, sneak some other lockers maybe. But everything you have can be carried on the ship and off the ship. You transfer to another ship, you transfer to a base, you carry it with you. But you have what you need to do the job. And we're equipped with the Holy Spirit. We're equipped to do the job. And it is a war that we're fighting. He said, no man that fighteth the war entangleth himself with the affairs of this world. Had to leave it behind. I could call every now and then. I could check in on home, but I had to leave it behind. And I had to keep my eyes on where I was. He said, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. 
And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. In 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 7, he says, but watch thou, he's telling Timothy, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. You know, afflictions, persecution, that's going to come. People aren't going to like you. It's something you got to deal with. But you, when you have your eyes on Jesus Christ, that one that over here that hates you, that's mocking you, they don't even matter. They should know Jesus too. But God has a path for you. You know, when you're praying, when you're asking for God's will now in the present, and this is something I didn't hit on in the second one, but when you're asking for God's will in the present, you end up finding God's plan along the way. You can look back and you can see where God used this decision in your life and that decision in your life. And you look back and you follow God's will. You know, people who get saved, they're like, what's God's plan for my life? What's God's plan for my life? You find God's plan for your life in the daily steps that you take. And when you get to the end, you look back and say, well, I can see what God's plan was. I can see God where God was steering me. Paul wanted so bad to go over to here. He wanted so bad to go over to Rome or uh, he wanted so bad to go to the Jews. I'm sorry. He wanted so bad to go to the Jews and go to this place or that place. But God would engineer circumstances that would send him here and here. And God had told him to go to Rome, but he, he still refused. And God ended up sending him to Rome in chains. Anyway, but he looked back and he could see God's plan. He said, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul looked back on his life and he said, I've only done what God wanted me to do. I kept the course. But while he was there, while life is going on, he says, I haven't apprehended. I haven't reached it yet. Forgetting those things which are behind, pressing toward those things that are before, reaching for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As we go into the new year, maybe this will help you as you look at the coming days. It's not so much what's going to happen next year. Is who you're walking with when they happen. All right, if you'll stand as Miss Maxine plays.